0: FTBD is proudly brought to you by Black Dog Coaching, the only online fitness and nutrition company that work exclusively with people in the mental health space. While other fitness and nutrition companies focus purely on looking good, Black Dog Coaching offers full-spectrum coaching that incorporates fitness, nutrition, mindset, habits, routines, and lifestyle choices to support positive mental health. So if you're battling the black dog, there's two things you need to do. Number one, contact your GP and arrange a mental health care plan with your mental health professional. And number two, contact Black Dog Coaching. Because while a mental health professional is a very important piece of the puzzle, it's just one small piece of the mental health pie. For the other 90%, Black Dog Coaching has got your back. For more information, check out www.blackdogcoaching/information. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it is, wherever you are. My name is Coach Neil, and I would like to welcome you to episode one of our brand new podcast, FTBD. For the uninitiated, FTBD stands for Fuck the Black Dog. This podcast is gonna be revolving around everything to do with depression and mental health and looking at natural remedies, natural cures, Um, We've got a whole bunch of guests lined up over the next couple of weeks. We have people who have uh, been through their own journey and been through hell with mental health um, and have come out the other side. And we've got people lined up to share their stories and the way that they've managed to still manage their mental health and uh, go about their day-to-day lives. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with who I am, um, as I said, my name is Coach Neil and I'm the founder of the Black Dog Brotherhood. The Black Dog Brotherhood is the only fitness and nutrition company that specializes and works exclusively with men who are battling the black dog. Um, To give you an idea of some of the statistics behind that um, and what it was that led me down that path to start coaching men in that niche, um, the statistics are absolutely staggering. So I think it was 2,347 men committed suicide in Australia in 2017. That's from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. 75% 75% of all suicides in Australia are male, um, and suicide is the leading cause of death in, uh, in all men aged 15 to 45, okay? The leading cause of death. More men are choosing to take their own lives and are dying of natural causes. On top of that, one in four men have considered suicide as a viable option at some point in their time, And one in eight men are actually diagnosed with some sort of uh, mental health uh, issue or mental health uh, or mental illness, sorry. So for myself, um, what I want to do with this very first podcast, this very first episode is I wanted to share my story, my entire history from go to woe. Um, But before we crack into that, there are a couple of things that I do need to cover off on. Okay, A couple of caveats. Number one. I am not a mental health professional. I'm not a mental health practitioner. I am a man who has been through the ringer with mental health. I coach men in fitness, nutrition, habits, and lifestyle. Um, But I do have psychologists that I refer to inside of the Black Dog Brotherhood. We have a handful of psychologists that we trust implicitly, and we refer men for the mental health side of things. I myself am not a mental health uh, practitioner. Um, I do share my own opinions. I do share my own experiences and I do share stuff that I have read. But as always, okay, if you are somebody who is suffering from a mental health condition or you believe you are suffering from a mental health condition, make sure you take the appropriate steps, reach out to your GP and plug in to get onto a mental health care plan um, to get the treatment that you need, okay? In line with that, there may be triggers inside of this podcast and inside of other podcasts for people who are suffering from mental health issues. We do talk about things such as suicide and we talk about them very, very openly. We talk about self-harm. We talk about some of the contributing factors and some of the, and yeah, you know, we are gonna be talking with people who have been down that path. And what you may find is if you are a person who is, suffering from a mental health issue yourself or believe you are suffering from mental health issues or you've looked after somebody with mental health issues or you've lost somebody to mental health issues there may be certain topics there may be certain um conversations that you may find uncomfortable and may act as a trigger so please be advised if there is anything that triggers you that is not our intent our intent is to share information and to try and put as much light on the subject as possible and offer as much hope as possible but if you are triggered By all means, feel free to obviously jump out of the podcast at any given time, okay? It is not our intent to trigger anybody in any way, shape, or form. Now, the last thing I want to discuss, okay? So this podcast is 100% completely free, and it always will be, but it's not completely free. It is organic, and what that means is that the only way this podcast can grow, the only way our message can grow, the only way our voice can grow, the only way we can help more people is through referrals and word of mouth. So... Here is what I would like to ask of you before we crack into it. If you take anything, anything at all out of these podcasts, if you find anything that you like, anything that you enjoy, anything that is helpful, if you hear anything that you think could help somebody that you love, somebody that you care about, we want you to share it. That's all we're asking. Share this podcast with anybody that you think can benefit from the content of the information. Okay, And every week, I'm going to be reminding you and asking you to do the same thing because we're hopefully going to have new subscribers, new viewers every single week. And every week, I'll be asking those new viewers, those new listeners to share the podcast with anybody that they think can benefit from the information within. All right. So without any further hesitation, let's jump into it. So we've touched on who I am very briefly. Um, So obviously, my name is Coach Neil, full name Neil Geddes, and I'm the founder of the Black Dog Brotherhood. Okay, uh, more important than uh, the companies that I own and run, I am a single dad to three kids. I do 50-50 custody um, and my kids, are uh, they're everything to me. They are my entire, entire world. And for a very long time, and I'll touch on this when I sort of go back in time, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't the greatest dad because I was so busy dealing with my own shit. I was so trapped inside my own head and I was so miserable with my own life that I I wasn't the best father early on in their lives. And I always feel like I'm trying to make it up to them and I probably will always feel that way. Um, Not just make it up to them by being there, but by trying to share the information with them that I wish somebody had shared with me when I was their age. So single dad of three, 50-50 custody, owner of the Black Dog Brotherhood. I also own Synergy Movement Nutrition Mindset, which is a merchandise company. um, And we have a vision of trying to basically work with and provide products to people who are on a journey to becoming the best version of themselves. We don't just want to hand out our crap willy nilly. We want people who are committed to becoming the best version of themselves. And what we want, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, watching on Facebook, watching on Insta, you can see the logo behind me and on my shirt here. We want this logo to become synonymous with people who are on a journey to becoming the best version of themselves. So that's uh, that side of the house. Now, if you were standing on the outside and looking at my life, you know, I've got three beautiful kids who I love more than life itself. I've got two companies which are doing really well. I live in a nice house, you know, I've got a car paid off. I don't have any debt. So standing on the outside looking in, it looks like I have the atypical perfect sort of life. But the fact of the matter is, in the back end of 2016, I attempted uh, suicide. I was sitting in my car and I'd hit what I perceived to be absolute rock bottom and I felt like there was there was no way forward. There was no way out. And that I'd hit a point where I felt like the only way to make it end, the only way to make the suffering end, the only way to make the numbness end was to take my own life. That was in the back end of 2016. So what I'd like to do now is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump way back in time like a Tarantino flick. And I'm going to bring you forward to that, mo- uh, to that moment in time so you can understand where I was and the factors that led to that. And maybe something inside of that will resonate with you. Maybe it won't. Um, and if it does, by all means, you know, feel free to, uh, to comment, to share um, and share your own experiences. So going way, 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 way back, um, there was a period of time, the last time I remembered before that suicide attempt, the last time I remembered feeling actual happiness and feeling, I suppose, joy or whatever you want to look at it like was in my early adulthood. It wasn't long after I, I originally joined the Navy. I did 15 years in the, in the military all up and I started in the Navy. Um, and that was probably the last time that I remember sort of feeling a level of happiness and contentment in my life, Um, and I'm going to throw a caveat in here. Um, As we go through, one of the things that I've learned is that all these things that I'm about to rattle off that led to my depression and led to me being in a depressed state and leading to that suicide attempt, what I now know is that it was all my own doing, it was nobody else's fault. It was, everything was on me and my perception and the way that I dealt with things and the way that I handled things. So taking it back, um, 2002 was when I first enlisted and that was probably the last time that I remember being happy. Prior to that, I don't know, my childhood was um, different, I suppose you could say. I don't wanna say abusive, but I did cop a lot of physical punishment. And at the time, I thought that was just par for the course. Um, It was something that, you know, and it probably was, being the 1980s, it probably was something where, you know, everybody grew up copping the strap or copping, you know, corporal punishment as a standard way of life. Um, There are a couple of uh, instances that I'm not really going to go into here because it's not really the the forum for it, but there were a few incidences that sort of shaped the path that I took in that I never, ever, ever felt like I was good enough. I never felt like I was worthy. And no matter what I achieved with my life, I never ever felt like I'd done enough. I never felt like I was enough. I never felt like I could give enough. Um, So leading into that, I ended up uh, joining the Navy. Oh, and to put the icing on the cake, I was also an obese teenager. So I was 103 kilos by the time I was 16. And when I had my body fat test, I was something like 38% body fat, which is absolutely massive. So I was an obese teenager as well, which is sort of what led down the path of fitness and nutrition. Even whilst I was in the military, I always had a fascination with fitness and nutrition because I was able to reprogram myself in that regard to lose a lot of the weight. And even though I've never looked like I've stepped off the cover of a men's health magazine, I've never been shredded, I've never been, you know, I've never looked like that, I did achieve a very, very, very high standard of fitness. And I'll cover off on that shortly because it ties in with uh, my military career and the injuries that I've sustained. So, all right, so 2002, I, uh, I joined the Navy. Now, I joined the Navy to become a clearance diver. So for those who don't know, clearance diver is one of the most physically demanding jobs in the military. It's uh, probably one or two steps below sort of Army Special Forces, Commandos, and SAS um, in terms of fitness. But to to give you an example, when I actually did the uh, clearance diver acceptance test, I lost six kilos in 10 days on it, um, and it was brutal beyond words. But at the time that I joined, you couldn't actually join as a clearance diver. Um, You had to join as something else, get a bit of experience with the Navy, then transfer across, which is what I did. So... I ended up doing three years in the Navy, and it was uh, it was a good time. I enjoyed the time that I had there, but it was all geared towards becoming a clearance diver, and I was training all the time to get my fitness up to that sort of standard that I needed it to get to. So I believe 2004, 2004 was when I got my shot at the uh, the Naval clearance diving course. So I did the CDAT clearance divers acceptance test, and I passed that. Um, I can't remember the exact numbers, but um, we started with something like 20 or 21 people. We finished with six, and I think four of us passed. Or maybe we finished with eight, and six of us passed, or something along those lines. But from memory, there was only myself and maybe one other guy who were on our first attempt. All the other guys were on their second attempt. So I got through that, and I was pretty much straight onto the course. And I remember just, I felt like I had achieved something. It was the first time I felt like an achievement. It was the first time in my life I felt like I was worthy. And the clearance diving course, it's a nine month course and it is fucking grueling, okay? It is grueling. Um, there is a PT every morning and it is brutal high level PT, the sort of PT where you get knots in your stomach before the session wondering what hell you're gonna be put through for the next 60 to 90 minutes. And then the job itself was obviously very physical as well, constantly moving, constantly carrying heavy shit. Um, it was a very, very physically demanding job. Now I've got seven months into a nine month course and I had a diving accident. Um, and I had what's called a perilymph fistula, which is a hole in the inner ear of my right ear. And it meant that I was peer would from diving, which is permanently medically unfit. I was told that I would never ever be able to dive again, which subsequently meant that I was removed from the course there and then. Um, and that was the first big hit that I took. It was, uh, and it might not sound like much, but you got to understand that for me, I'd spent years living and breathing and studying and training for that moment. And I got that close, you know, inches from the finish line. And then I suffered a permanent medical injury that saw me uh, removed from diving forever. Um, And I remember I went to watch all the guys that I was on that course with, they all became like brothers. Like anybody who's got a military background, anybody who um, sort of understands that brotherhood, it was so tight knit because we had all suffered together we had all bled together, trained together, sweat together. You know, We fucking lived in close confines and lived in each other's pockets for nine months. And we come to depend on each other and rely on each other in a way that very few people would ever understand. So these guys were literally like brothers to me. And then I watched every single one of them um, get their beret and get their badges and become a clearance diver. And I got bounced. Um, and it was about that time that I noticed that things in my life started to change. Like, I always had a very clear direction. I always wanted to be a clearance diver. Always, you know, everything I did that was geared towards that. So I had to sit back and reassess and go, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? And I was still only young at the time. Um, and I thought, well, fuck, maybe I didn't set my sights high enough. Maybe uh, maybe I could try for special forces inside of the Army. So, And that's what I did. So I transferred across to the Army. And I was originally going to go direct entry for commandos, but some sneaky, peaky motherfucking recruiter lied for his teeth to me and basically told me that I couldn't transfer across from Navy to direct entry for commandos, which you 100% can. Um, And he ended up recruiting me for infantry, which was, fuck, it was the beginning of the end for my fucking headspace. Like, don't get me wrong, I love the infantry and I love the guys that I work with and I learned life skills that I carry with me to this very day. And again, I've met blokes that I call my brother to this very day and there's so many things that I learned that carry me forward in life but it's not, it's not where I wanted to be. So over the next couple of years, um, so I went into the unit and I was told that, yeah, it's fine. When you get to your unit, you can apply for special forces straight out the gate. Um, <laughs> and then you just go across the road do your selection, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. It's that easy. Uh, um, and it wasn't. So I'd already been in for Four years by the time I transferred across so I got into the I finished my basic training I did really well through my recruit training my basic training and I got to the unit and then like I was there a month and I put my application in for special forces and I was literally fucking laughed at they're like no you you need to do your time in the infantry before you can even think about putting a transfer in I'm like holy fuck!" they're like get back to us in 18 to 24 months so I'm like fuck okay shit So I knew that I already had a really, really high level of fitness from the clearance diving course, but I knew I had to maintain that and build on it ready for when the time came. So the next couple of years, even though I was doing the job, um, I was focused on getting to special forces. So again, the cycle started all over again from clearance diving. I was in one place, I wanted to be in another, and everything was geared towards being in that other place. And I fucking trained, and I trained, and I trained. I trained at the cost of all else. So during that period of time, you know, I was I was married. uh, I had my first child, um, and I didn't give either my wife at the time or my child the attention they needed because I was so fucking focused on me and what I had to do to get to special forces. And I was getting up, you know, ridiculously early to train to get my first workout in of the day, and then I'd train after work, and I was smashed with fatigue by the end of the day. And this went on and on and on for about two years, and I reapplied. And again, so there's a 13-week special forces training course that you can do. And by this point, I was starting to get niggles in my body, little tiny injuries that were starting to fucking affect my training because I'd been training at this level for so long now that my body was starting to take the brunt of it. And I got all my paperwork in, and I was set up to go and do the special forces entry test. And a couple of weeks before, I got told... Nope, you're going on exercise. We can't afford to let you go. You'll have to go next year. And I was like, but I've, I've just spent years training for this. I've just spent, I can't do another year. And they're like, well, you're going to have to. So that's what happened. I ended up going on exercise and I didn't get to uh, Didn't get to. Um, have an attempt that year. And then the year after that, same thing. Um, I was set to go on it and then we ended up getting crash deployed to East Timor. So I missed that year because I was on deployment in East Timor. Um, I come back from East Timor now one of the things here's where it starts to go down a fucking slippery path um shit had started to go wrong inside of my own head but I didn't have the maturity or the mental uh the mental clarity or vocabulary to express what I was feeling and where I was so I come back from that deployment and um I'm gonna put a caveat in here I don't have PTSD I've never shot anybody I've never done anything like that I've seen some things that you know most people would consider highly stretchable, but you know, for me, they don't really sort of hit that stress point. The things that affect me most are things that I feel like we as an army could have prevented, but we didn't. We sat on the sidelines and let horrible shit happen when we could have been more involved and could have stopped stuff. But that's that played into it. So 2007, by this stage, I'd been in the in the military since fucking 2002. Um, and I hadn't achieved a single thing that I wanted to. I had spent years training for clearance diving and got on the clearance diving course, got permanently injured and medically removed and watched all my friends get uh, become clearance divers. I then spent several more years trying to maintain and, and build on this level of fitness and the injuries were starting to build up. And um, you know, every time I got close to getting that opportunity, it was taken away from me. And then I deployed 2006, And it was a fucking horrible deployment in the way that it was managed and the way that we were treated by our chain of command. And there were things there that we could have done that we didn't do. And I didn't realize it at the time. At the time, I was just locking this shit down. Like I'm like, that's fucked, but I'm not going to think about it. It's not my place to think about it. It's not my place to worry about it. That's fucking somebody else's problem further up the chain. Around 2007, um, once again, I got passed over for my opportunity for an exercise. And I remember very, very distinctly the first time that I thought about suicide as an option. So by this point, I knew that I was angry all the time and I knew that I was sort of numb a lot of the time, but I didn't really think past that. It it just was what it was. And I had a very distinct moment. I remember I was doing this uh, six-week exercise. It was done out of base, but we're on call-outs all the time and It was just brutal levels of fatigue and sleep deprivation. And I remember I hadn't slept for about, you know, I think I'd had about two or three hours sleep in about 72 hours and they sent us home and I'd just gotten home and we got told, leave your phones on in case there's another call out for the exercise. And I was just having a shower. My phone rang and uh, my wife at the time answered it and she's like, you need to go back in. And I'm like, fuck do you mean i've just got it's like middle of the night i've just gotten home and it was like they purely did it to fuck with us um and the level of fatigue that i was at and the place in my head space that I'm like bro right, well, i'm gonna finish my shower i'm gonna go in and i remember standing in the shower and i started involuntary just crying in the shower i was just broken and it wasn't because i'd been called back in it was just everything in my life at that point like the lids just started to come off a little bit and I wanted to die there and then. And I, it was the first time I remember thinking about suicide as an option. And for me, and I know for a lot of other people that I've spoken to, it was insidious. So to begin with, it was just a thought like, fuck, I could just kill myself and get, get it over with. This is just shit. Everything's fucked. This is fucked. That's shit. This is shit. I could just kill myself and get it over with. And it was just a, just a little thought little seed and I remember I was riding a motorbike at the time and I was riding back and I was so tired and I was like I could just hit 140 150 k's an hour just drop my bike and slide into a guardrail. it looked like an accident and nobody'd know that I'd actually killed myself so I wouldn't I wouldn't be that weak prick who committed suicide it would look like a bike accident and I remember weighing it up in my head and I didn't do it I got there and then switched into work mode and I just cracked on with the, ex- uh, the rest of the exercise but now there was this thing this seed in the back of my head that wow, it really would be easy to just fucking to kill myself. And over the next couple of years, that seed just started to grow and it went from being a form of dark humor and a sort of, yeah, I could do this to more of a fuck, I want to die. I'm sick of living, I'm sick of this shit. Um, And it wasn't until 2010 that I actually got released to try for special forces selection. And by that point, I was so far in the hole. And there was a point in the back end of 2007 um, where again, I was dealing with suicidal thoughts and I was in this place of self hatred and self loathing. And that was the first time I cut myself. I cut myself on my waist with a, uh, a razor blade and I found that that helped. It alleviated the thoughts of suicide and the pain from cutting myself helped me to feel something which was better than feeling nothing. Um, And that created a, not a habit because I didn't do it all the time, but then what I found is every time I started to sink into that place where I wasn't sure if I was going to kill myself or not, I started to cut and cutting was a way for me to not kill myself. It was a way for me to feel something. Um, So anyway, from 2007 to 2010, it was just a blur. Like I wasn't where I wanted to be and I kept... I was seeking and I knew that I wanted, I still wanted special forces. I still believed in my core that I was put on this earth to do something greater than myself. And I believed to my very fucking core that that something was to fight for people who couldn't fight for themselves. It, it was to, it's why I'd always pushed for the top. It's why I always wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. Cause I believed that my purpose here was to do something greater than myself. And that deployment in 2006 showed that, it was never going to happen within the regular army that I was never going to be able to do that. The only place I'd be able to really make a difference was the special forces community. So 2010, I got my crack. Um, but by that point, I had so many injuries. My back was constantly in pain from the uh, the pack marching that I was doing. I had snapped ligaments in my left ankle from pack marching and parachuting. Um, I was working at the parachute training school at the time. There was a lot of uh, soft tissue injuries that I got from that. I had torn my right shoulder multiple times during training and all these injuries, I'd had a fucking, uh, a very small break in my neck. I got hung up outside an aeroplane by my neck uh, doing a static line jump. So anybody who's seen Band of Brothers, a static line jump is where your parachute's on your back and there is a static line that's attached from the parachute to the plane. So when you jump, it deploys your parachute for you. Um, It was my first night jump and the guy in front of me dropped his static line and that had gone around my neck and it hung me up for about four or five seconds outside a plane. Um, and I had a very small break in my neck and the army was so concerned with that, that they sent me on another exercise three weeks later with a suspect well, at that point as a suspected broken neck. And they sent me jumping in on another exercise. Um, and I was just in a world of pain. So 2010, I got my crack and I was just riddled with injury, but I passed the, uh, the entry test and I got onto selection and it was February, February, 2010 when I started the, uh, special forces selection for two commando regiment, um, And I was in pain from day one, my back was hurting. And I'm not making an excuse here because, I mean, I was medically removed and I know a lot of guys, it's, you know, there's an element of pride of being medically removed rather than fucking self-withdrawing. But for me, that didn't change it. I still felt like a failure. I got to day 11 Um, and I wasn't, I definitely wasn't the fittest person there. I definitely wasn't the best soldier there. I really struggled with, my navigation really killed me, which is odd because prior to that, it always been really good with my nav. but, you know, I was holding my own. I was comfortable with where I was, and I could see that I was well ahead of a lot of people who were far less prepared than me. So I'd probably... It's a safe bet to say that I was around the middle of the pack. But then we were doing uh, what they call Dmark or demarcation, which is a 72-hour no-sleep, no-food exercise. Um, and it's just basically a series of six-hour evolutions that are designed to torture your fucking body, your mind, and your soul. And I got... 24 hours into the demarcation process and I remember very specifically we're doing this exercise with water jerrys and we're moving these water jerrys but we're wearing our packs at the time which were like 60 kilos and I moved a funny way and my back fucking popped and it was excruciating and I knew in one part of me one part of me knew that it was over there and then but another part of me was like all right it's like day nine or day 10 by this point and it's like Uh, It goes for 21 days and I'm like, maybe I can just get through. I'm middle of the pack at the moment. As long as I can maintain middle of the pack, maybe I'll get through. So the next 24 hours were some of the most painful of my fucking life um, because we're wearing packs and we're pushing fucking trucks and we were climbing the sides of mountains with fucking kegs and, and water jerrys and it was just blinding pain. And I remember there was a very distinct moment where we got a, uh, a rest. They basically let us drop our packs, sit on the side of the road and chill out for five or 10 minutes, which when you haven't slept for fucking, by that point was nearly 48 hours. It's like a godsend. But then for me, I couldn't get back up. I physically couldn't get back up. I was sitting on the side of the road and I was trying to get up. And my back was so painful. I couldn't even fucking sit. And one of the, uh, the DS, the directing staff came over and he's like, yeah candidate 26 are you okay and I'm like yes sir I'm okay he's like well get up and put your fucking pack on I'm like yes sir and I tried to get up and I couldn't get up and he's like candidate 26 are you okay and I'm like yeah I'm okay and he's like well get on your fucking feet and put your pack on he knew I wasn't but he had to fucking make sure that it was game over for me and it and it was I ended up getting um, medically removed pretty much there and then taken to the docks Um, what I later found out is that um i have two crushed discs in my back my l4 l5 and my uh l5 s1 i think it is um are pretty much just sheets of paper they're thin as and it? it's almost vertebrae and vertebrae now i actually had a, a back injury in early 2000 while i was clearance diving but i didn't think much of it at the time because i recovered from it even though i was in pain with the pack marching that i did uh there on in what i later discovered is that i had two cru- from that injury i had two crushed discs in my back so Long story short, it was over for me. I was medically removed and uh, all my mates passed and all my mates went on to do the two commando course and all my mates passed that. And once again, I went to the uh, their graduation and I watched all my best friends, all my brothers get their berets, get their badges and uh, become qualified Special Forces soldiers. And I remember very, very distinctly sitting in the crowd at that graduation and the level of despair and self-loathing and hatred that I had for myself at being a fucking failure and just watching all my friends achieve what I couldn't achieve and it fucking broke me. Um, And from then on in, so I, uh, I, I did another year and I thought to myself, I'll try again next year, but my back was so fucked, my shoulder was so fucked, I couldn't even pass the entry test the next year. I was just too broken. I was fucking, I was fucked. So then I'm like, all right, I'm, by this stage, is 2011, um, or back end of 2010, sorry. And then I was away for most of the year on shitty little exercises, just, just marking time with my life. And I was numb, and I was broken, and I was cutting frequently, and I was thinking about suicide all the time. And I'm like, maybe maybe I just need to get out of the army. Maybe that's what it is. Um, so, you know, at this point in time, um, there was a lot of arguments inside of my marriage and I have to own a lot of that because I just, I wasn't present. I was not present. Um, I think so 2010, we had, uh, we had you know, 2011 we had my boy. So 2010, we still had my little girl, uh, but I was just, I was absent even when I was home for, and yeah, you know, when I was home, it was only for a couple of weeks at a time. I was just, I was absent. I wasn't there um and i just spiraled and there was a lot of arguing and you know i have to own a lot of that um and then i ended up getting out and going to work and in jail for 18 months um and i didn't mind the job but the pay was shit so i went backwards in pay um we were struggling financially and anybody who has dealt with financial stress it is it's one of the worst types of stress because it's fucking omnipresent it is there all day every day in everything that you do you know when you you know getting notifications that bills have bounced That this is bounced you can't afford to go get a coffee you can't afford to go out with friends um i was working uh 12 hour shifts in the jail but i lived an hour from the jail so uh, it was a 14 hour day and then i still wanted to train because my training was what kept me fucking balanced in my headspace like i needed to fucking exercise so i was getting up at three in the morning to get to work by sort of four four thirty, so i could exercise for an hour before my shift started at six i'd work from six to six and then i would um drive home. It'll be like seven o'clock. And then, uh, you know, we had my son. So we had a newborn. We had a a four-year-old girl who was most unhappy with now having a sibling. And the stress was just off the charts for me anyway. And I wasn't coping. And again, things just kept spiraling downwards. And then I made a decision that I'd rationalized to myself that the army wasn't the problem, that I was the problem. So I could get back into the army and it would be fine. Um, and yeah, and then army would subsidize my rent. My pay would go up a little bit and things would be better. It would fix that financial stress. Plus I missed the brotherhood. I missed the boys. And even though I knew I'd be going back into the infantry, that was fine because I was I was starting to get, you know, by the time I got out, I was getting pretty good at what I was doing. Um, so I got back in and it was probably the worst mistake I could have made. Um, I didn't cope from day one. I was able to hide it from everybody. Like I was performing well. I was working as an instructor at the school of infantry and I was performing well, or I felt like I was performing well, but then things started to happen that had never happened before. I started getting charged for like military charges for a very, so I'd never been charged my entire military career, not once. And then I copped four charges in the space of two years at the school of infantry. Some of them were bullshit charges. Some of them uh, were because I just stopped giving a fuck, but then that increased my stress and I just spiraled down and things got worse and worse. And then back end of 2016, so I did three years at the School of Infantry and then I um, did an out-of-core posting working with uh, military intelligence as, a, uh, as an interrogator, um, which was, again, I loved the job and I was reasonably good at the job. Actually, I'm going to blow my own horn for a second. I felt like I was pretty good at the job, especially in comparison to some of the people I was working with. But I was numb. Beyond words, I hated every single day, and I just wanted—I just wanted to die. And by this stage, I had you know three children. Um, you know, my marriage was on the rocks again, and I've got to own a huge part of that because um, I was just so caught up in my own shit, my own depression, my own headspace, my own self-loathing that it was just a fucking spiral. And all of that led to me sitting in my car. Um twenty sixteen I'd had a, a shoulder reconstruction and I had a whole pile of endone there uh from my shoulder reconstruction. And I remember sitting in my car and I anytime I got in that point, I used to look at photos of my kids to try and sort of bring myself around to try and but it just nothing was working and I was just numb. I was just fucking and I was done and I was crying. I was sitting in my car, fuck knows where I was. Um I was just sitting in my car and I was crying. And I just ate a sleeve of Vendone, like I'm done, I'm out. And I ate, I can't even remember. It was like, I just fucking grabbed a sleeve and washed down the entire sleeve of Vendone. And I sat there sort of waiting to die. And then I had like a panic attack. I thought about my kids and I thought about what I was leaving behind and how it was gonna affect them. And I freaked out and I fucking stuck my fingers down my throat and I bought what I hope was everything back up. I probably didn't because I slept really well (laughs) that night. Um, And I, I reached out to a friend um and it was the first time I'd ever spoken about being in that place and he was a he was one of the guys who got through to special forces and he, he battled his own demons so he understood where I was and I reached out to him and I didn't tell him I didn't tell him that I'd already I was ashamed and embarrassed because I felt weak that I'd even attempted it and I didn't have the guts to tell him that I'd already attempted it. I told him that I was in that place and I told him that I'd wanted to but I didn't actually tell him that I'd attempted it already um And I thought that that was the beginning of my rehab. Like I thought that I was better um, because I hit rock bottom and I didn't do it. And then my mind started to clear up and I started researching a lot into what was going on in my own head. And I still, I never spoke to army about it. I never spoke about it with the shrinks. Uh, I discharged again from the army, uh, 2017 I got out and uh, I never mentioned a word of it to anybody. In fact, the day after my suicide attempt, I was actually given a trophy for most outstanding soldier in the intelligence community um, because I was just throwing myself into my work to hide what was going on inside my head. Um, So 2016, 2017, I'd had one suicide attempt. I thought I was better. I got out of the army. Um, My marriage fell apart. We uh, ended up separating. Uh, became single dad 50-50 custody. And anybody who's been through the divorce process, it is a, it's a a—it's a very, very stressful process for everybody involved. Um, I am very proud to say that my ex-wife and I still, we talk all the time and we co-parent 50-50. Uh, um, it's not always sunshines and, and rainbows, but we have managed to, you know, raised three beautiful kids who are all doing really, really well. And we communicate about the kids all the time. And we've managed to, to maintain that despite our own differences, which is absolutely fucking amazing. Especially when I look at other people who have been through the divorce process and, and custody and all that, and it all falls apart they're unable to maintain a relationship for the benefit of the kids. So I've been very, very lucky in that regard that we've been able to maintain a working relationship to co-parent with our kids. Uh, very, very fortunate with that. Um, so, I thought I'll through it and I got out and um, I got some money from Department of Veteran Affairs for my shoulder and I put all that money toward buying a, uh, a franchise, a fitness franchise, a personal training franchise. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into too much, but long story short, it went really, really badly. Um, and I ended up fucking 20 grand in the hole to the guy who owns those franchises. Um, I'll be very careful about what I say here because he is a, malicious and vindictive person so we won't name names we won't name companies but it went really bad really really bad and it drove me down and then the financial stress that i'd experienced before was nothing compared to where i was i had a three-month period where i was living off of the scraps from my kids plates i couldn't afford to eat i always made sure that the kids were fed and i literally i dropped from like 95 kilos down to 84 Um, because I literally didn't eat for three months. The only food that I ate was off the scraps from my kids' plates, Um, you know, and then on the weeks I didn't have the kids, I would eat like one meal a day because I just couldn't afford the food. Um, I fell behind in my rent, like I was like four weeks behind in my rent. I had credit card debt, I had um, my bank accounts were in the negative, and there was a very distinct moment where I was due to get my kids back um, for the week. And I couldn't afford to feed them. I had no food in the cupboards. I had no food in the fridge. All my accounts were in the negatives. Um, I was behind on my rent and there was just nothing. I had no money to buy food to feed my kids and they were coming back. And um, my girlfriend, my partner, she found me on my bedroom floor, just curled up. I wasn't curled I was sitting, just fucking hugging my knees and I was just crying because I didn't know how to feed my kids. Um, And... I was already battling with being a failure in my own eyes. I'd failed clearance diving. I'd failed special forces selection. I'd failed my life. I'd failed as a husband. I was failing as a fucking father. And um, there was a suicide note and a razor blade in the bathroom. Um, I'd spent all day trying to work up the courage to to do it. Um, And she ended up having to go to a food bank and get food for my kids because I, I, I couldn't feed them and I had no money to do it. And again, that was uh, you know, a new fucking every time I thought I'd hit rock bottom, that was a new rock bottom for me. So I was way, way down. Um, by this stage, um, I was trying to give the franchise back. I couldn't sell it because it wasn't making any money. I was trying to give it back. And I ended up walking away, breach of contract, the whole nine yards. And I ended up walking away nearly 20 grand in the hole with me. that I didn't have. I didn't have a job. My shoulder was completely screwed. So even though I'd had the shoulder, uh, the only jobs I was qualified to get were manual labor. So I was bouncing from manual labor job to manual labor job with a busted shoulder. I was in excruciating pain. I, was, I wasn't even making enough to pay my rent and buy food each week. So I was going back a little bit further and a little bit further. And somewhere inside of that, um, a couple of things happened. Uh, I suppose you call it a spark, a little spark. So I acknowledged for the first time in my life that I needed help. I'd never reached out. I'd never fucking asked for help. I'd never been to a mental health professional. And that was uh, that day when my partner found me, that was a catalyst for me getting mental health uh, help. That was the catalyst for me deciding that I needed to look into this. If I was going to live, if I was going to be there for my kids, if I was going to do something that it wasn't enough to be fucking swinging a shovel with a busted shoulder for the rest of my life. So here we are. It originally started with Synergy. Synergy was a uh, originally a coaching company and it's now a merchandise company. But then with Synergy, what I found is that it wasn't really, I was trying to coach everybody. I was chasing all the rabbits and catching none. And one of the things that I learned through all the courses that I did is that in order for me to be the best possible coach that I could be, I needed to work with people that I understood and who understood me. And that was the birth of the Black Dog Brotherhood. Um, and that sort of uh, brings us to where we are now. So I still battle depression. I still um, spiral up and down. I've been on meds and off meds and on meds and off meds. And I've made, I've made a conscious choice to not be on antidepressants um, because I personally, and this is not me advocating for or against, this is just my personal experience, I found that number one, I piled the weight on, which was unacceptable for me because I was an obese teenager and I'm still, I'm always conscious about uh, my physique because I was an obese teenager and because I was literally bashed and beaten for being the fat kid because I was taunted mercilessly for being the fat kid. It's something that was unacceptable for me and I'm a fitness and nutrition coach. So it was just unacceptable for me in myself to be in that sort of physical condition. It affected my sex life. It affected my headspace. It just, it just made the numbness more. Like I just felt more numb. So I made a conscious decision to come off of my meds. And that's when I really started to research alternatives to uh, pharmaceuticals for depression. And that is the journey that I'm on at the moment with the Black Dog Brotherhood is I am constantly learning, constantly evolving as a human being, as a man, as a father, as a leader. Um, and I want to give all of that To men who were in a position where I was only a few short years ago. I want to be able to give this information to my kids so that they can have the best possible chance at life. And that brings us sort of full circle. So here we are, the uh, Fuck the Black Dog fucking podcast. That is my story. Um, That's a very condensed version of my story. There's quite a bit that I've left out inside of there. Um, But we are going to wrap it up there because I know it was kind of uh, a lengthy story. And I apologize if there was anything in there that may have triggered you, but I also hope that you found a sense of reflection inside of that. Maybe there was something that you took from that that can help you if you were in that place. Maybe there's something you took from that that you can use to help somebody else. So I want to close out today by saying, if you are a person who has a mental health condition, if you are a person who feels like you might have a mental health condition, get help. Okay. Please go see your GP, explain what's going on in your headspace. It is not weak to speak. I know it's a cliche, but it is not weak to speak. Okay. Talk to your GP, get the referrals that you need and get the mental health uh, support that you need. Um, And that is pretty much what we have in a nutshell for episode one of FTBD. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time today. I want to thank you whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're watching on Instagram, whether you're listening to our podcast. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you and I want to remind you that my vision with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible. So please, please share it with anybody that you think can benefit from it. Please share it on any social media platform where you think it will be accepted. Um, My name is Coach Neil. I will be back next week. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves and take care of each other.